You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast. I have uh, Dr. Raghu Kaluri. He's a professor and chairman at the Department of Cancer Biology at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. So a uh, very prestigious position. Dr. Kaluri, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Thank you for inviting me. I'm doing well. Yeah, tell me, what, uh, what does your position involve? Is it more research or directing uh, the whole center? Like, what, what are you working on? Um, I serve as a professor in the Department of Cancer Biology here, and I serve as a chairman of this department. Um, my laboratory is mainly interested in research related to tumor microenvironment and uh, exosomes as it relates to cancer. And uh, most of my work is research related. Um, I, I am an MD, PhD, but I spend most of my time doing research currently. Yeah, I recently learned that. Uh you know, cancer cells, just like other cells in the body, put out a lot of EVs, you know, and exosomes. Um, what in particular appears to be the goal of tumors uh, putting out exosomes? Are they using it to remodel their microenvironment, or what, you know, what's the thought there? Well, that's a great question. So uh, nobody really knows why. Um, that's actually one of the unanswered questions is why do cells uh, generate these extracellular vesicles and a class of them are also called uh, exosomes. And what is their physiological purpose for doing it? And uh, what do they achieve by doing it during uh, pathology like cancer? But the fact is that the cancer cells do generate it. And those exosomes and EVs seem to have some uh, capacity to alter the behavior of cells around them and also travel across the body and lodge themselves into other organs potentially. So we don't know why they make it, but we're, there's some data to suggest that what they make could have potential role in cancer progression and metastasis. Yeah, as a, okay, so when a metastasis forms, does anyone know if EVs go there first and prepare the nest essentially for the uh, tumor cells to migrate? Or do they happen at the same time? I mean, any sense of that? So that's still an open-ended question for most part. There is some very early evidence to suggest that there's a possibility that these EVs uh, slash exosomes could be released by primary tumor cancer cells and travel to potential metastatic sites. But some of these studies are highly preliminary, and a lot of the work still needs to be done with respect to creating proper model systems that actually will address that without any um, external injections of exosomes or EVs to really facilitate this thinking. So I think that if you ask me, currently the field suggests, the field is suggesting that there's a potential 
that these EVs could arrive there before metastasis or at the same time of metastasis and prepare the microenvironment of the future secondary metastatic site for cancer cells to lodge there. But a lot of this is just hypothesis and supposition with very preliminary experiments. I think a bulk of the research still needs to be done. And it's an exciting area of research. So what are some of the experiments that are going on right now? You know, are, are people comparing, you know, tumor cells and the exosomes they put out and harvesting those versus, uh, you know, normal cells to see what the difference is or what's going on to figure it out? That's a, that's a great question. So I guess where is the field today is, is sort of the question you're asking. So what people are doing is in a young field, uh, such as EV biology and EV biology research, um, is that they're taking EVs from cells and culture and trying to understand what do they contain and how do they enter other cells? And if they enter other cells, what are they doing to recipient cells? A bulk of the research that's going on in the field is at that level because it's easy to culture cells and take the culture supernatant and then isolate exosomes from them and then throw them on other cells and see what behavior changes take place. So a lot of the research that you are reading about is really at that level at the moment. And uh, at the level of uh, tumor biology, people are now taking tumors and asking the question, do these tumors and cancer cells in the tumors generate exosomes and what do they have in them versus when a cancer is metastasizing, take those metastatic uh, you know, nodules and make exosomes on them and see what happens. And another aspect of research that's going on right now is really harnessing exosomes from individuals with and without disease. So healthy individuals and individuals with cancer, neurodegenerative diseases or autoimmune diseases and so on and so forth. And so many different aspects there are being studied. So there the question is, can we harness those exosomes from body fluids, such as blood, urine, et cetera, and ask the question compared to healthy individuals, are there any differences in the constituents of exosomes that would serve as biomarkers? So uh, it could be microRNAs that are different or proteins that are different, uh, mRNA that's different, et cetera. And such things have been extended to even the context of pregnancy. So uh, are there differences in exosome content at different stages of pregnancy, um, you know, with respect to their microRNAs or other constituents? And, um, and so that is where the field is. Uh, but if you ask me if there are any way that mouse modeling and genetics have uh, taken place where people are looking at de novo production of exosome from individual cell types and tracking them and seeing where they go in the body and what kind of an impact they have in a, on the organ they go. None of this is really being done at any level that suggests that we have any information um, to uh, hang our hats on. Well, what if you were able to take, um, you know, a tumor, a primary tumor in a mouse and then a metastatic tumor in a mouse and put them in culture and see if they are sending exosomes to each other and doing some, you know, cell-to-cell signaling? Is that possible? Yes, of course. And those are being done. And there is, the, there is obviously a communication between cancer cells of tumor A uh, to cancer cells from t- tumor B. That means the tumor A is shedding the exosomes uh, that goes to tumor B and enters those cancer cells and changing their phenotype a bit. But remember that that's in culture. It's very easy to put cells in a culture and have exosomes go. 
but one has to really address that in the context of a, an organism like a mouse or you know large animals or humans where if i'm releasing exosomes from my lung and those exosomes enter circulation are they going to my kidney and entering kidney cells and changing the features of kidney cells now that's a pretty difficult experiment to do but that is a relevant experiment to do because it has to go through so many barriers and so many other stressors to get to the point when culture system you can see these things so the way I would put it is, uh, Richard, is that from a conceptual point of view, we're gaining tremendous proof of concept knowledge that exosomes from cell A can manipulate cell B when they enter cell B. But we don't know how often that is happening in the human body. There could be many regulatory systems that are in place that don't allow exosomes from cell A to go and manipulate cell B. But in a culture system, since those barriers are not there, we're seeing that it can happen. So the proof of concept experiments are suggesting that there's potential for it to take place, but we don't know if it's really taking place yet. Well, if certain cancers appear to have preferential metastatic sites, that would indicate that the exosomes they put out have selectivity. If they're doing niche construction in the recipient sites, they always seem to be the same ones. So maybe that would tell you that not only is it possible, but these exosomes are surviving many parts of the body to get to their you know, destination. Absolutely correct. So there is evidence out there that exosomes from, uh, let's say, breast tumor are seen in other organs and suggesting that they have traveled from breast to the other organs. But we don't know the frequency of it. Is that a very small amount or is it a very high amount? We don't know that yet. But the question that you're asking is, has there been any studies done to show that exosomes from a given tumor only go to the future metastatic sites and not to the sites that metastasis does not occur. That has not been shown. In fact, that has been shown to be incorrect. There are many papers that suggest that these exosomes from a given tumor can go to pretty much any organ, not only to the organ of future metastatic potential. Okay. Hmm. But, but for some reason, okay, good. But, but they could only have an effect on a future metastatic organ. That has not been done, but that potential exists. Interesting. But at least in cancers, it does seem that there, uh, at least in culture, there's definitely crosstalk between uh, primary tumor and metastatic tumors. Absolutely. And actually between any cell and another cell, in fact, I'll take it even further. There have been experiments done in the culture where there has been, there's been no evidence yet collected to show that a particular cell type does not allow exosomes to enter them. If I take any cell that generates exosomes, and put those exosomes in another cell. Uh, so far, the experiment suggests that they enter other cells in culture. Okay, so it hasn't been observed that cells exclude certain exosomes but allow others in? They seem to let them all in? Absolutely no evidence so far. But if you want me to speculate, I think that might be happening. But there's no experiment evidence collected yet. Are you able to uh, tag the exosomes from, let's say, a primary tumor and then see where they go in a mouse model? Yes, like and those them, are being release done. them. Okay. Those are being done and have been published by others where they use certain uh, protein tags uh, so that when cancer cells generate exosomes, those exosomes on surface will have a certain tag on them. And that tag will give out a color of red, green, or whatever. And so doing that, people have shown that the cancer cells will shed exosomes in large numbers that can be detected in circulation and that can be detected in many other organs.
But as I said, doing those experiments, people have not been able to show that those exosomes are only in the organ where future metastasis takes place. They go pretty much everywhere. Right, okay. But, but yet metastasis seems to preferentially happen for certain cancers in certain places more often than others. Correct. So it isn't, so, so it isn't about the fact that the exosomes only go to those organs where future metastasis is seen. What could be the possible, what is possible is that when they go to that secondary organ, only where the metastasis can take place is where they have an effect. Whereas in the organs where metastasis cannot survive, they don't have an effect. But that needs to be unraveled. I'm just speculating. Right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. We don't know yet. Hmm. So what, what particular experimentation uh, is your lab doing based on what you know? What are you trying to figure out? So we, we have two, two major approaches to exosome EV research. One, we're trying to understand the basic biology, just as a question you ask. Why do cells make them? How do they make them? What is their content? Does the content change upon different situations and you know, different conditions? And is there any selectivity to the things that get into the exosomes or EVs? Or is it random? And if there's selectivity, then what is the mechanism for selectivity? So those are basic biology questions. And then the question is, how does it then get released by cells? And how does it attach to cells? How does it fuse? How does the content get in? Why does that not get degraded? How does it protect itself? So tremendous amount of basic biology needs to be learned still. Exosome field and EV field is very young. I would say as young as um, you know, tumor uh, oncogene and tumor suppressor field in the 70s and 80s, right? So there's a tremendous amount of research that needs to be done. Even though there are many publications coming out that doesn't necessarily mean that our knowledge is increasing at that rate. Remember that in the 60s and 70s, there were hardly any journals. There are millions of journals. People publish all sorts of stuff now. That doesn't mean that our knowledge is increasing at that level. So we want to understand the basic biology. Plus, we're trying to make mouse models and new reagents where we can, either spontaneously or inducible, have a cell generate an exosome with certain tag, color tag by only that cell type in a mouse, and then track the fate of that exosome, see where it goes, and in the context of diseases, then we can cross them to mice with diseases. That allows us to get away from cultures and asking the question, let us say, for example, if I can generate pancreatic cancer cells to naturally generate red exosomes in a model of pancreatic cancer in the mouse. I haven't done anything other than the fact that genetically engineered it so that the pancreas, pancreatic cancer cells make this. Now I can ask the question, where does it go? How long does it live? Where, you know, is it entering other organs? And at what rate are they entering? So that allows us to take away any manipulation other than a natural course of events. So that's one aspect of research we're doing to understand fundamental basic biology of exosomes and EVs. The other aspect is that while we're learning all of this, we have learned enough that exosomes like to do two things very efficiently. They generated a very large number are generated by large numbers by cells, and they carry information in them, and that information is delivered to the other cells. These seem to be things that are happening very consistently. So we are part of the research that we do is try to apply the knowledge we know today towards a therapeutic or diagnostic potential. So that's the applied science of EV research we do. In that sense, what we did is we realized that exosomes love to enter other cells in an efficient manner, even when injected in the circulation of a mouse, 
They go to all kinds of different organs and at very high rate enter those cells. So we said, this seems like a good delivery system. So why don't we put some drug in these exosomes and see if the drug can get to those cells. And we show that they in fact can. So we use pancreatic cancer as a model system and said pancreatic cancer has a gene called KRAS, which is mutated. What if we send an siRNA against this gene embedded in the exosome? So we engineer exosomes to have siRNA in them that silences that particular oncogene and then injected them in mice and it went to pancreas, entered those cells, shut the mRNA down and the tumor growth significantly got inhibited and the survival of the mouse increased. So hmm. now if you ask me, how do they enter? Well, how are they traveling across all of this and delivering? I don't know that yet, but what I do know from basic biology is that they can do it. So we're immediately applying that to therapeutic potential. And this particular idea got published and we generated a clinical grade uh, exosomes for it. And now it's approved by FDA for a clinical trial. So while we still don't know much of the basic biology, we're taking what we know and already trying to apply it from a therapeutic sense. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Congrats on doing that. And that's going to potentially help a lot of people. That's really cool. Have, have, um, have you seen experimentation where you know, you'd take exosomes from you know, a tumor and inject them into a healthy mouse and seeing if it causes any, uh, any cancer in that mouse? Well, um, some experiments have been done by others uh, and us where you take large number of these uh, patient-derived exosomes or uh, you know, cancer cell-derived exosomes and inject them into mice. Um, you do get some uh, uh, you know, tumor formation of cells that have been implanted with the potential to form tumors. So no experiment has been done and yet to say that that there is evidence to show that if you take exosomes that are from cancer cells and inject in a completely naive mouse that is normal, that suddenly you have cancers around. Nobody has been able to show that. People have tried to do it, but there's no evidence that that can happen. But if you take, uh, if you put some uh, cancer cells that don't form tumors at a very high rate, and now you do that experiment, they do form at a higher rate. So they can take cells that are primed and looks like the evidence suggests that they can accelerate their growth, but not take a completely normal cell and change them completely. That has not been done yet to any satisfaction um, in the experimental world. Well, maybe that's a good thing. Interesting. So they're influential, but not transformational. It sounds like exosomes, at least on this level. Correct. I mean, uh, the fact is that, um, you know, if, if, if in fact the cancer cell-derived exosomes can do that, then one would think that we would have erupted with metastasis in all the organs because these exosomes are going to all the organs, right? So there must be some other regulatory mechanisms and systems that prevent that from happening. And so that needs to be unraveled still. Well, in uh, metastatic niche construction, I wondered at one point, you know, do... Uh... When, it, you know, when a metastasis forms, let's say it's a pancreatic cancer and it forms in the liver, does it also transform any of the liver cells to be cancerous? But that doesn't seem to be the case. It's still pancreatic tumor cells that are just sitting now in a part of the liver, but it doesn't make a chimera of different cell types. Sorry, that, that, that is correct. That is the assumption that it's the pancreatic cancer cell that are going down lodging. But we don't know. We don't know if any normal can, uh, liver cells are also altering their behavior a bit to aid cancer cells. We don't know that yet. And are exosomes potentially making that happen? Could be, 
We don't know. It's a, it's a hypothesis that needs to be tested. There's no evidence to suggest that that definitely does not happen. So, okay. So what areas of the field are you waiting on impatiently to, to figure things out to help your research? What are you looking to that uh, is, is interest you? Well, I, I would say that, um, you know, I'm a very, I'm really excited to be part of this field because it's young and there's some really amazing colleagues of mine working on it. And as you just pointed out, people in metastasis field and others who are doing very provocative and very thought provoking work. Um, but I think what is required right now is a clear identification of how we term these things. What is an exosome? How do we define that as to be an exosome and how everybody else working in the field will use common, um, you know, methods to really study them so that there is a lab to lab understanding that these are common methods we should use to assign function. Right. So that's very important. And in a young field that takes a while to evolve and it is happening each year. Things are getting better. The other aspects that I'm looking forward to is understanding how much of this is happening in the body um, because cells and culture will do things that they don't necessarily do in the body. So I think more and more of these genetically engineered mouse models that allow us to track steady exosome behavior in the body itself, uh, I think would be an area that would really um, unravel some new uh, understanding of how exosomes work. Uh, and if, at a fundamental level, I, I'm still intrigued by why do cells generate exosome in such large numbers? It's stunning to know that at least in culture, each cell can make close to uh, you know, 1,000 to 5,000 exosomes a day. Um, that's pretty impressive uh, amount of vesicles they're releasing with all the content in them. So uh, to me, that's intriguing. And then a very sort of almost at a philosophical level, um, are, I'm very intrigued by at what point in evolution did cells started making exosomes or did exosomes even exist before cells were there? Um, are they, you know, did they precede even uh, first cells that appeared on the planet? So I think these are the, some of the interesting things that uh, I'm waiting for. Uh, I'm waiting for the science world um, to unravel and that will make uh, translational research more exciting. Uh, I think there's a tremendous potential for exosomes as drug delivery systems and as drugs, uh, if we can understand how they function and how to exploit them. Yeah, what, what percentage of a cell's volume uh, is put out, put forth by it in exosomes. If a cell releases, you know, a couple thousand exosomes a day, is that just 0.1% of the cell's volume or a lot of it? Right. So if you, if you think about it, if, if a average size of an exosome is a hundred nanometer, and let's say that average size of a cell is 10 to 12 micron, um, then you're talking about them releasing several, <laughs> several folds of their, uh, you know, volume in exosomes in a given day. That means that metabolically they're making things and shoving them out, right? Yeah, I just wonder what if it was like 5% of a cell's total volume that was being given off in exosomes per day versus what if it was like a... If you, think, know, of one... it in, if you think of it in static terms, but remember the cell is also making lots of consumption right, right. all the time. So, so it's a difficult assessment to make, but what can be easily said is that um, if let us say... Each, uh, each cell makes about, uh, you know, a thousand exosomes. Uh, that would uh, easily mean that um, it's creating its own volume or twice its volume every day. 
right? Yeah, that would be crazy, yeah. And, but that is, that is happening in culture. As crazy as that seems, it's happening. Now, the question okay. that, that we have to ask is that, is that happening in vivo? Because culture right, right. is abnormal, right? Is it happening in vivo? And the important question is, do you think that exosomes made by heart are going to kidney and regulating kidney function? That's unknown. I, I would, again, it's speculation, but I would think that uh, a lot of that's happening. And that's what's, you know, I think it's a major way of cell-to-cell communication. Again, it's speculation, but that, that is I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. That, that is absolutely yeah. my speculation. We're on the same page. And I think that's what really intrigues me and got, gets me really excited to be in this area because what if we have found the greatest communication system between organs? And that's how we keep our homeostasis, um, you know, uh, in check and in place where we are communicating with, uh, you know, organ to organ communications happening via exosomes. Well, what about the microbial attachment, you know, the microbiome that appears to be in every part of our body? Right. I w- imagine if our, our cells released exosomes and they were taken up by bacteria and bacteria released something similar, which were taken up by our cells, which showed like, you know, host, uh, you know, microbe communication. Absolutely. And that would also, that could also explain why that people with certain microbiome uh, are susceptible to certain, um, you know, alterations in their organs and react differently to drugs and other things. That's because they've manipulated their cells differently. So that's obviously one way that uh, bacterial exosomes could be manipulating host parenchymal cells. So that's one possibility. And then, um, as you just said, it's quite possible that even the cells that are in the body are releasing exosomes that go into the bacteria and manipulate it. Uh, Bacteria do make vesicles. And this has been reported by many people. And they have certain markers on them. And they carry certain content. And they have some activities. So it's quite possible that as we are isolating exosomes from our circulation and thinking that all of those are from our host parenchymal cells of different organs, that we could also be collecting a fraction of them coming from the microbiome in the different organs. I guess people would have sequenced, you know, exosomes. Have they found any bacterial DNA? And is that just because it was entrained in the sample or? Or they are, yes. And there's a, I'm sure people are doing that work at the moment, uh, but also because when you sequence it, you probably only look for the human genome. You may not be thinking to look at the bacterial genome. Crazy. Well, I know you're just about out of time. It's an amazing field. That's why I'm so interested in it. And obviously, you are too. But what's the best way for people to learn more and to read some papers and you know find out? Well, they can uh, visit my website um, of our laboratory at MD Anderson uh, if they. Uh, for the Colory Laboratory at MD Anderson. I'm sure people will be able to get to it right away through a Google search. And uh, we have uh, lots of information there and uh, people can look it up in um, you know, PubMed and put, up, put my name and look at the papers we're publishing. And uh, anybody and everybody is always uh, welcome to contact me by my email. Well, that's great. Well, Dr. Cleary, thanks for coming. It's been a really great call. Thank you for having me join this forum. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. 
In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.